what about them? <laughs> Got to be careful we don't get into idol worship today, huh? But we're excited, aren't we? Did a little research last night, put it on Facebook if you follow me, that the least church attendance in the whole country is in San Francisco. So I figure if it gets down to prayer, we've got the edge. You know, you, got, they don't, you don't have many prayers out there on the West Coast. We've got a bunch of them here in the Bible Belt. So we should have a distinct uh, advantage in that area. And they all said, amen. I know that people say God doesn't interfere in sports. I, I, you know, I could make the argument either side of that. But, hey, just in case, help us, God. May the spiral remain tight. <laughs> Amen. Let me uh, share with you real quickly that on February the 23rd, and check, make sure I'm giving you the right date in your bulletin because I'm off the top of my head here. Tw- February 23rd, we're doing a water baptism. Is that right? Water baptism here in the sanctuary at the end of the service. I don't want to get wet and then preach. So we'll do a water baptism here. If you have believed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, And you have not been baptized in water. You need to be baptized in water to be fully obedient. So uh, we've got some folks that need to be baptized. If you need to be baptized, let me know. Amen? I promised you I'd preach a shorter sermon today, didn't I? Are you going to hold me that? It's kind of noncommittal there. Still afraid you'll lose the Super Bowl if you're you're religious, aren't you? Well, again, you've got the sermon section. You handed when you came in. You've got the sermon app on your iPhone, and uh, I'd I'd like to, if you don't mind, again, I'd like to give you a little bit of uh, extra material as we get started here. So flip that sermon section over to the lines. I'd like you to take a few notes before I get started with the official sermon for today. I've been doing that a lot with this series, haven't I? It's like I get a load right at the end that I need to to share with you. The thesis of this series, which is making resolutions that will heal you, the thesis for this series is if you want to be fruitful, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, if you want those fruits of the Spirit in your life, it's going to require connectedness. And I talked to you in a few weeks ago about the need for that connectedness and the biblical nature of that connectedness. Now, last week I talked to you about a disconnection that you need to make because in certain relationships they are toxic. They are spiritually toxic to you and you have to make those disconnections in order to make the healthy connections that will make you fruitful. And they all said, and today I want to talk about the reconnections we need to make. So remember, you have connections, disconnections, and reconnections. We all have disconnected and reconnected at times. There was a time I was connected to my mother, and then they cut the cord. It was a disconnection that needed to happen. There was a time my mama changed my diapers. After a while, she quit doing that. That was a change in relationship. There was a time when I packed up all my stuff and I moved out of my parents' house. I didn't renounce my parents. I disconnected from them and reconnected in a different way so that we could share the adult world together. So I'm saying there are times we have to disconnect 
so we can reconnect in a biblically and spiritually healthy way. This is usually a good amen section over here, and you guys are comatose today. What's going on, Ethel? Your croup over there is fading fast. All right. Go, go, go. So when you start connecting in a meaningful way, you're going to find that you will have to have substantial conversations with people you're connected to. Without those conversations, there is no real connectedness. In fact, in some realms, they call them critical conversations, where you sit down with someone and you essentially say, there's something wrong. There's something going on in this relationship that is not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for us. Those are called critical conversations. And they all said, And in those critical conversations, you're going to find you're going to be talking to people that fit into one of three categories. These are the extra notes I want to give you. They will fit into one of three categories. You ready? When you're having a critical conversation with someone where you're sitting down with them and say, we've got to talk. Something's wrong with this relationship. Something about this relationship is taking away my joy and my peace and my, all, all the fruits of the Spirit are being sacrificed to this relationship. We've got to change it. And so you're starting to have a critical conversation and you may be talking to someone who fits into category one and I call them the wise. The wise. I won't talk much about them because they're the easiest group to get along with. Listen. A person fits in this category if the light is something they conform to. If the light is something they conform to. When the light of truth shines into the eyes of a wise person, they say, thank God for this, I'm going to change to line up with the light. So when you're having a critical conversation with a wise person, all of a you see a light come on and they go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I was affecting you that way. I didn't realize you were taking it that way. I didn't, I didn't. And they say, how can I change to fix this? So a wise person is conforming to the light. If you show them a biblical truth, they go, oh my goodness, I didn't see that. I was talking to a believer, <laughs> in quotes, one time, and the believer said, I, I, I believe in reincarnation. I said, you got a problem because it's unbiblical and it's anti-biblical. The Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die, wants to die, wants to die, and after that, the judgment, right of the book of Hebrews. And I remember thinking, this is a critical conversation. We're going to win or lose. And the person looked at me and said, oh, wow, I've got to change my mind. <laughs> well, that was easy. Because, you see, a wise person sees the truth and conforms to the truth. A wise person sees God's position for sexual morality, and they say, that's the way I want to live. A wise person sees God's standard for their finances and they say, that's the way I want to live. So the light uh, changes them. Second person's a foolish person. Don't get too torn about this foolish person. Maybe they'll learn. They can learn. They might learn. Often they do learn. But a foolish person is foolish 
because when the light shines into the situation, they try to adjust the light. Instead of the light modifying them, they try to modify the light. Well, that's not true. I don't do that. That's not how I act. I didn't say that. They try to modify. I've sat in on probably a million and 23 team meetings where you kind of, you do the autopsy on, on, on an, uh, an event that didn't go so well. Where you sit down and you all gather around the table and you say, okay, this, this didn't work. Who was walking point on this? And often the person who's walking point on it goes, wasn't my fault. I did this, 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 I did this. It just, you know, it's somebody else's fault. In my mind, I eventually say I'm dealing with a foolish person right now. Because a foolish person refuses to own the truth. A wise person would say, I walked point on it, it blew up, it didn't work out, you guys help me figure out what went wrong. A foolish person is always trying to establish one thing. It wasn't my fault. You're not giggling. I hope I'm not preaching to a bunch of foolish people. (laughs) It wasn't my fault. And so they wrestle with that. They change things. But in order for a foolish person to become a wise person, (laughs) Dr. Henry Cloud says this, in order for a foolish person to become a wise person, you have to lock them into a quagmire of truth. You have to keep saying, no, this is true, this is true. And you don't let up. No, this is true. This is true. You ever talk to someone and say, you know, I think you've got an anger problem. And they get mad at you. And you say, didn't you just prove my point? No, I didn't. I don't have an anger problem. You guys need to quit ticking me off. We're not having fun yet, are we? You, you lock them into a quagmire of truth. Third group, and you don't want to believe these people even exist, Ethel. You don't want to even believe they, they exist, but they do. They're evil. They're evil. They're evil people. A wise person conforms to the light. A foolish person tries to adjust the light. The evil person tries to attack the light. He will attack the light. She will attack the light. When I'm having a conversation with a person and it's not going real well and they stand up and say something like this, I will destroy this church. I know I'm dealing with an evil person because an evil person has destruction in his heart. They have destruction in their heart. She has destruction in her heart. They had rather destroy something than to face the fact of their own error. There is evil in their heart. And I want to share with you something that you guys have never read this passage. And when you did read it, your mind didn't let you grasp it because it's one of those passages that just doesn't seem like it should belong in the Bible. But it is in the Bible, and it's in the Bible for a subject like this. It's from Titus chapter 3, verse 10. It's not in your notes. Again, this is extra special stuff for you today. It says, warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. 
you can be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So he says that there are some people who are just evil. And you give them access to you, they will use what's in their heart, what's in their heart destruction, to destroy you. There are some people, I started to say this last week, and my sinality <laughs> kicked in, I didn't finish it. Some people are just evil. They're used to the devil, and, and they know it. Some people are used to the devil, and they just don't know enough to know any better. You know, they're just foolish. But some people are instruments in the hands of the devil. And I think that those folks know and they have a premeditated effort to bring destruction. I once pastored a lady that I thought was foolish. I later found out she was evil. She she came to a board meeting one time, and many of you know the details, so I'll spare you of that. I had simply said to her as a pastor, I don't want you to speak in church anymore. I don't bear witness with the stuff you say when you talk. So you don't get to speak anymore in church. So she comes in and she prophesies to the board that I'm living this gross life of immorality and all this stuff. I mean, she just goes crazy with this stuff. And I thought, wow, this lady is deceived. The devil's deceived her because I know me. I'm not perfect, but the story of my life is probably PG at worst, you know. It's, it's, there's not any of that really weird stuff that you'd really like to see, you know. Um, so we dealt with that. We did the church discipline. Am I even going to get to preach today? And um, it was over. They were disfellowshipped from the church and her husband for, for divisive activities. And it kind of ended, and years went by. And later, we moved down here and began pastoring. And I got a, a letter in the mail from her one time. And she, uh, she said, uh, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. Looks like I don't have much time. I want to apologize to you for what I did. And she went on to say, I know that you believe this cancer is God's judgment on me for what I did to you. And at that point, I realized she wasn't foolish. She was evil. Now, you're going to have to think about this. Why would I believe that God would judge her if what she said was true? Because she was saying it's to be true. But she knew that I knew it wasn't true, and if I knew it wasn't true, she knew it wasn't true. Why would God strike her with a terrible disease for telling the truth? So the fact that she's standing there saying, I know, some of you are not following this, <laughs> I know that you think God has struck me with this disease because of what I did. So what she's acknowledging to me now, I knew it wasn't true. I just said it to bring destruction to your ministry and to the church. She was evil. Now, I said all that to say this, that when you are connecting with folks and reconnecting with folks, you're going to have to have in your mind, I believe, a chart. And you're going to have to decide right away, Am I dealing with a wise person? Am I dealing with a foolish person? Or am I dealing with an evil person? And you have to treat them accordingly. The Bible says, do not rebuke a mocker. He will pound you with insults. Right? You, you can't have a, 
one of these critical conversations with an evil person because they will pound you with insults. So you've got to back up and say, this is not a person that I can be connected to at this level. doesn't mean I never talk to him again. It doesn't mean I never have anything to do with him again. It, ne- it doesn't mean I have to kick him out of my family or whatever. But it means I cannot have that connection with them. Amen? All right, are we ready to start preaching now? Our vision for 2020 is that we would have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And this is where, at this point, point three of this, it's about about point five or six in the overall series, but on the main four points, this is point three. Here is where we get real. And here's where we start to think, wow, something's wrong. Because I'm not very loving, I'm not very joyful, I'm not very peaceful, I'm not very patient, I'm not very kind, I'm not very good, I'm not very faithful. I'm not gentle, I'm not in control. Here's here's where we face the reality that the fruit of the Spirit is not in our lives. And we say, I'm going to do something about it. If we're going to make resolutions that heal, we first have to face the fact that we need healing. You see, we think, I got the flu, I need healing. I got a disease, I need healing. But can you imagine for a moment looking up toward heaven and saying, God, I need healing. The fruit of the Spirit is not in my life. I need to be healed. I don't have any love and joy and peace and patience and goodness. I don't have that in my life. God, I need a healing. This is the point where we pivot toward God and say, God, I want to be fruitful. I want to have the fruits of the Spirit in my life. And we face the gap. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. I know you're going to get tired of this parable. Maybe I'll start summarizing it. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it and did not find any. There's the realization. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it take up soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. The advocate steps in. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. So the advocate steps in and says, give it another shot. Give it another opportunity. And here is where you may be. Here's where you may be wrestling. Are you at that point where you're going to say, My life is without fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. And that's just the way it is. Bring on another day. Or are you going to say, my life is without fruit, but God, that's going to change. By God Almighty's power and strength, that is going to change. Amen? That's what we're talking about, resolutions that heal. Now, I want to talk to you about reconnections because sometimes we are connected in ways that do not allow for fruitfulness. And the first reconnection we need to consider, our first reconnection must be with God himself. God is pictured in the parable. Are you listening? He removes the tone of judgment. 
This fig tree has not been figgy for three years. We're going to cut it down. That's judgment. The advocate steps in and says, let's try again. We need to connect with that God that is our advocate. Amen? Jesus removes the tone of judgment and adds the tone of healing. And there's something, in, something fundamentally wrong. Uh, can you handle this? Give me a nod. Can you handle this? There is. Are you sure? Here's a big old heaping plate of, of spiritual broccoli. No cheese on it. It is what it is. In a fruitless life, there is something fundamentally wrong with our connection to God. Wow. When I look at my life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, when, when those things are beginning to disappear from my life, oh, Lord. Dare I admit there is something fundamentally wrong with my relationship to God. I'm not saying I've backslidden and gone to hell. I'm saying there's something not right. When God has a critical conversation with me, God says, pull up a chair, Jeff. I want to talk to you about some stuff you need to hear. I respond to him in wisdom, foolishness, or evil. I either say, yes, Lord, I hear you. I will conform to what you say. Or I will say, Lord, that's not exactly true. Or I will attack the truth. But God needs to have critical conversations with me. Every once in a while, he needs to say, sit down and be quiet. Let's work on what's going wrong in your life. I know... (laughs) The uh, mega church and the media church have painted God to be this limp-wristed sugar daddy in the sky that never has anything to say. But he, <laughs> Kevin's enjoyed that. No one else did, Kevin. <laughs> but you and me enjoy it. <laughs> He's going to tweet that later. Yeah. <laughs> uh. God needs to have our attention when He speaks to us. I, I've wondered, I don't, you know, and, and I'm not saying that I'm accurate on this, but have you noticed the last few winters? Um, almost every time there's a winter storm, it comes in on Saturday night. Have you noticed that? And at first I thought coincidence, and then I began to wonder, God, is, have you just seen we stay home? You know, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing here, God? Are, are you thinning us out? Are you testing our faith? Or what are you doing here? And, and I don't know about that. You know, I don't know. Maybe it is just coincidence. Maybe it's Gary Lezak's fault. I don't know. Um, but I do know this, because it's in the Bible. Sometimes God had rather us not worship than to worship the way we've been worshiping. 
God had rather us shut up than to keep doing what we're doing. Friends, when worship is about your favorite song and not about the Most High God, you need a different connection to your God. Because the connection you got is about you. It's not about your God. Let me read a passage from Malachi that illustrates when God had reached a point with the Israelites where he just said, let's don't do this anymore. Let's, let's don't have worship anymore. Look what he says. Malachi chapter 1, uh, verse 10. Oh, I got nervous all of a sudden. I don't know. Maybe you guys need to look a little more pleasant here. This could hurt church attendance when you say sometimes. Okay, here we go. This is God. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hand. I don't understand why it is, but I believe absolutely that it is, that God always connects what we offer him to our attitude toward him. Always. Always. You never read the, the, the passages on worship. You never come into the presence of God without an offering. And God looks at that offering and He judges your attitude toward Him by that offering. Whether it be your life, your circumstance, your time, your treasure, your talent. Whatever it is that you're offering Him, God looks at it and judges your heart toward Him based on that offering. That's deep, I know. Hang on with me. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying that the Lord's temple, it is defiled and of its food it is contemptible. But you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed be the chief who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name will be feared or revered among the nations. What is Jesus, what is God saying? Don't come into my house and disrespect me and call it worship. Let me tell you what was going on here, okay? Can I tell you? Go Chiefs. I'm not a farmer, but my wife is a farmer's daughter, so I kind of got some access to cattle farming just by being in, in, in her family for 40 years. Here's something my father-in-law taught me that if you have 
a calf, a heifer or a steer that's ready to go to the sale barn. And there's something wrong with it. Let's say it has an infection in its eyes or its mouth or something. And you take it to the sale barn. They're going to butcher it and throw away the head. But even though the head has nothing to do with the steaks, you get nothing out of it. Because when it comes into the sale barn with that infection or whatever it is, that malady, the buyers look at it and they want nothing to do with it. Now, that's what was happening to Malachi. People were walking up to the Lord. Remember, they would bring their offerings. They'd lay them on the, the altar. They would grill that, that meat and the, the smell would smell like Texas Roadhouse if you ever walk up there at night. And the smell comes across. Sometimes on Saturday night I walk up there and just go, ah, the smell of ribeye grilling. There's nothing like it. And people would smell it, but they would walk up to that offering and they would see that it had an eye infection or some kind of problem and they'd go, I ain't touching that. And so the Lord said, they won't touch offerings given to me because you guys brought the culls of your herd and I won't accept them either. Don't bring those to me. Don't even worship if you're going to bring those to me. Did you notice in the passage how often he said, my name will be great? I need you to listen to me. Butterflies going on here. I need you to listen to me. What do I need? If God is not worth your best offering, you need a new connection to God. You need a new connection to God. Hello? You can't say that God is the most important thing in your life and then give Him your leftovers. You can't put Him last and say He's first. Because He knows. He knows. Awkward. <laughs> Awkward. Do you, would you like me to move on or just sit there still for a minute? <laughs> I was preaching one time about tithing. Do your homework on tithing. Let's don't fight about it. Some people say it's just Old Testament. Some people say and you, you look at it and you try to figure out what, what do you believe about it. I don't fight with people. I just say, you know, I believe God expects every bit as much of a New Testament believer as you did an Old Testament believer, but whatever. But anyway, I was preaching on tithing, and uh, this very prominent man who was a part of just becoming part of the church, and it wasn't this church, uh, he got really offended, really offended. Can you believe somebody get offended over a sermon on tithing? That's where you say, no. Can you believe someone would get offended over a sermon on tithing? Oh, so weak. Um, but his wife was much more in than he was. But 
she gave me a call the following week, and she said, Pastor, you have made my husband so mad. She said, he's never coming back to church. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, wow, I hate to hear that. So, and, and again, he was an elected official. Everybody knew the guy in the area. So I went to his office. Have you heard the story before? Yeah. Some of you haven't. I went to his office with, uh, without being announced because um, I didn't think he would accept an appointment. <laughs> and they ushered me into his office, and I sat down, and I said, I understand you're really upset with me. And he was. He, and he was, he was giving me, for, for me, he stands up on his desk, and he, not on his desk, but he's leaning over his desk, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just sort of listening as, as, as the barbs are coming at me and all this. And I said, well, can we have a Bible study here? Can, can I make my point? And he said something that revealed everything. He said, do you realize if I did what you teach, I would be giving to God more than my mortgage payment? And I said, so let me say that back to you. He said, okay. There's no way... God will ever be as important to you as your house. Well, no, yeah, that's what you said. Where's the crickets? (laughs) And again, do your homework and whatever decision you make about your offerings and stuff, that's between you and God. I'm not going to fight with you, and I certainly don't want to break fellowship with you over it. But what I do want to tell you, that if you present your offerings to God in a way that defames him, he won't accept them. If you're giving God your pocket change, keep it. If you're giving God your leftovers, keep it. If you come into the house of God wanting to be entertained, Skip worship and come for the sermon. <laughs> now we're getting really radical. Pastor <laughs> said, wait a minute, wait, wait. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying is God knows how we feel. God knows how we feel. Ladies, what do you always say to the men in your life? It's the, it's the thought that counts. It's the thought behind the thing. When you just grab something on the way home... If, nah, nah. But it, when the thought goes into it, it may be the world's worst gift, but if you put some thought into it, yeah, I'm impressed with it. So the first thing I want to share with you about reconnection, and it's tough. Oh, man, I, I, I feel the tension in this room right now. Tough. If you want to have a fruitful life, you have to connect to God in a way that honors Him. You've got to connect to Him as the great King Almighty. You've got to connect to Him and, and quit saying, God, well, I'm tired. I, I don't have any time, treasure, or talent for you. I've spent my whole life on me, and there's nothing left for you. You can't do that. If I'm going to connect to God right, and I'm going to connect to God in a way that produces fruit in my life, I have to connect to God. He sits on the throne. I don't. I bow at the throne that He sits on. Amen? And when I bring offerings to Him, whether it be my time, my talent, or my treasure, I bring offerings to Him that are the very best I have. 
He gets the first. He gets the first fruits. I honor Him with the best that I have. I don't want to put God at the end of the day when I'm so wore out I can barely think. I want to get up in the morning and spend time and say, God, what is this day contained for me to do for you? How shall I serve you today? What is your agenda for me today? Can you imagine God saying to Israel, His chosen people, just shut the door. Just shut the door. Don't come into my house and light those fires and throw that blinded calf up on the... Oh, don't do that. Hello? Go Chiefs. A couple more minutes. I'm not going to finish the outline today. Let me give you this little pill and then we'll... Our second reconnection must be with the Word of God. I'll talk about the people in the next one, but we won't get to it today because I promised I'd give you some of your time back from last week. And they all said, who said amen over there? Ethel. (laughs) Our second connection must be with God's Word. I could preach everywhere in the New Testament about this, but listen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Can I paraphrase that? I've read what the Word says. Let me paraphrase it. All Scripture has been breathed forth by God to be the foundation for critical conversations. All Scripture has been breathed by God to be the foundation for critical conversations. The Bible is a unit. You can't have confidence... In John 3.16, and reject John 3.19. It's, it's a unit. Any, if any part of the Bible is outdated or irrelevant, then all of it is. If any part of it is not inspired, then none of it is inspired. I hear people say, I believe in parts of the Bible. I say, no, you don't. Because once one piece of it is discredited, the whole thing is discredited. In your heart. I need a connection to the Word of God that says it is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training and righteousness. This is the basis for my critical conversations. This is where they are. I was teaching a group of young people not too long ago and one of them spoke up and said, can we challenge the Bible? <laughs> can we challenge the Bible? And I said, well, you can challenge an interpretation, I guess. But you can't challenge the Bible if you believe the Bible is God-breathed. It's the living Word of God. 
I'm going to have the fruit of the Spirit, I have to let the Word of God be the Word of God. And I I have to connect. You see, what we have in our culture today is a pick-and-choose view of the Word of God. I like this. I'll take some of this. I'll take some of that. And and so we cherry-pick the things that we want to hear, but the parts of the Word of God where God says, we got to break up the ground around your life. There's, there's stuff around. Man, there, there's hardness around your spiritual root system that we've got to break this up. And sometimes the Word of God hits me in the face like a two-by-four. And I have to say, oh, my God, Help me line up. Help me line up. I don't want to be that person who tries to change what it says or attack what it says. I want to be that wise person that when I open the Word of God and uh, it speaks, I find myself trying to conform. One of my New Year's resolutions, if you giggle, God will zap you is to get more exercise. You may not be able to tell it, but I'm lighter today than I was January 1st. I'm not going to say by how much. But I'll lose that if I feel my, ch- my pockets with change. But I found this. The wonders of technology. I plug ear- earphones into my iPhone. And I go to Bible Gateway and ask someone to read. And I'm walking, walking, and the Word of God is speaking to my heart. And once in a while, you have to pull it out and hit pause, slip it back in your pocket and say, God, help me line up with what I've just heard. Help me be a better warrior for the light. Help me be a better example of what I'm supposed to do. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about reconnecting to the safe circle, but you don't have time for that today. Believe me, you don't. Uh, so today, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop right here. I've just told you something incredibly important, and I've given you a schematic to deal with it. When a critical conversation takes place, you are talking to someone who fits into one of three categories. They're either wise, foolish, or evil. I put wise and spiritual in the same category. They're either wise, foolish, or evil. I don't know if you know it. I don't know if it's it's become clear just yet. But in Jesus' name, I'm having a critical conversation with you today. I am. I'm saying to you that you have got to connect to God in a way that acknowledges he is great. He's not just your buddy. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one that says go and you go. He's the one that says stay and you stay. He is the Lord. He's the one that when he speaks, you say yes, sir. He's the Lord. And if you fall into that branch of Christianity in quotations, where you get to boss God around, you need a new connection.
a different connection. What if the Lord is saying, today, I just say not hear you worship. Because it's, it's whatever you want. You need us to sing your song. We, we, you need us to do things. It needs to be about you. What if he's saying, just knock it off. Don't bring that in here. Because worship is about exalting the one true God. It's about making it about him. It's about bowing down to him. It's about acknowledging him. And when we reconnect to God in that way, fruit starts popping out in our life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. All those good fruits start happening. What do you think? What do you think? You going to do something with it? Today, you are receiving this critical conversation as a wise person, as a foolish person, or as an evil person. Let's take that one out because we don't want any evil people around here, do we? Well, we do. Maybe we'll get them saved. But take what I'm saying here, and I pray a light has come on, and you're going, oh, that's it. I am worshiping the right God in the wrong way. I'm not giving the Word of God that stature in my life where it is God-breathed and it trains me and teaches me. Okay? Stand with me, please. What do you think? Is God saying to you today, I need a new connection with you. I need my name to be exalted in your worship. I need your offering to testify to my greatness. What you give me should be the best you have. And I need my word to mold you and make you and shape you into a person of righteousness. You've given yourself permission to ignore biblical truth. Today's the day when you stop that. And you say, God, thank you for shining a light into my life. And with your help, I will conform. I will conform to your word. Jesus, speak to your people right now. And Lord, if our attitude toward you has been one where there is irreverence, if if we've given you our leftovers and our spares, if we've approached you as a charity case, as a welfare case, if we've given you our leftovers and our handouts instead of our first fruits, we repent 
and going forward. Your name will be great in our lives. And if we've treated your word as if it contains suggestions and not directions, we repent of that, Lord. And going forward, your word will be your word. And we, with the power of your spirit, will conform to it. Hallelujah. Father, if there be anyone here today that came this way and doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I ask you, Lord, to give them the faith right now to believe that you died for their sins. And that if they'll just trust you, you'll forgive everything they've ever done, will ever do. And you'll write their name in your book. So we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. And so do we are being saved. And all God's people said, Hope to see you back next week. You will come back, won't you? (laughs) God bless you. Go Chiefs.